Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jamie Creel with Shelter Insurance. Come see how we've built a name that you can trust and why it is a must to get your free quote today with our Switch and Save. Located in Ridgeland and Florida, Mississippi, give us a call, 601-992-6000. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert, along with Will East in the Element Well Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music. Morning there, Will. <coughs> it's a little wet out there. Yes, it is. What is the latest on the weather? I noted that the governor made a statement, said multiple tornadoes confirmed. Multiple right? tornadoes. N- Nighttime tornadoes, which for some reason just scares the you know what out of me. Man, um, but yeah, a lot of tornadoes last night, uh, central Mississippi area. I'm sure there was was, was uh, uh, several more, but there was some destruction. I, I know of at least one death. Right. Um, whether that'll go up or not, I'm not quite sure yet. But uh, yeah, more tornadoes, and <clears throat> this is on top of. The storms that had come through days before. There's been rain constantly throughout the state of Mississippi, and storms constantly throughout the state of Mississippi. A lot of people without power yeah. right now. Yeah. Uh, Thursday. I mean, every night, right? The last four every nights, night. we've had a round of severe weather move through the Magnolia State. More intense in some areas than others, of course, but really unusual weather pattern for this time of year. I mean, it's it's typical to get the old afternoon variety thunderstorms. With yeah. the humidity and so forth, and moisture in the air, and of course what we have is a pesky front, low pressure, that doesn't seem to want to get out of the way, although it is it is moving to the east. Yeah. And I think going to be out of here, and we'll be back to a more normal weather pattern, but this, this uh, 3 o'clock in the morning, crazy stuff, uh, in my house, it was Thursday evening, is when it came to, actually Friday morning. And I awakened to tree debris all over the dead gum place. And I know everybody's dealing with that. Trees down, some trees falling on houses. Well, just in the parking Power. lot. Yeah, in the here. parking lot here. I, I drove up and the maintenance crew is they're you know, getting tree limbs and everything like that. And they said, there's more on the way. Yeah. So uh, the governor said that Rankin County, just southeast of Florence and Jasper County, from Lewin to Bay Springs to Turnerville the worst areas, and watching the radar last night in that sort of 8 to 10 or 11 o'clock time frame, it does seem like everything was more focused to the east of our point, the eastern part of the state, Rankin County, Smith County, etc., and then continued on through the state into Alabama as well. So, And I know that we had 
Hank Forsackerly, CEO of Entergy Haley. on. Haley, pardon me. Haley Forsackerly with, um, with Mr. Gallo this morning. And uh, he was talking about the, the, the challenges they're dealing with, just trying to get to everything. And, of course, as soon as they restore some power, yeah. like from last Thursday or Friday, and then here it comes again, and they're having to double back in some cases. But yeah, that's the thing is that usually when you have a, b- a big storm come through, you know, you'll have a couple days of sunshine afterwards where the workers can get out there and get everything restored. With this one, it's just been day after day after day, so those workers can't get out, get out there and get to work. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm honestly, I'll have to admit to the audience, I should have asked um, Rhett Bailey when he was here a little bit more about that. Of course, the Public Service Commissioner for the Central District, but it, I, I, did, I didn't realize how this was going to continue. At that point, I th- I felt like, well, we had storms, we had outages, we're getting on that. But I didn't know that it was going to increase rather dramatically yeah. because we had more storms Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So, and I'm sure his phone is ringing off the hook. Uh, of course, he's working with the utility companies, I think, as is the governor's office and other state agencies as well, working in concert with the electric power companies, and of course, we've got Entergy, who Mr. Fasakerly He said we have 40 for. miles of distribution lines that have been knocked down. We're close to approaching 200 Gosh. broke poles. Yeah, they're not set up for that. 200? That's, ama- that's hurricane-type stuff. Yeah, that's crazy. That's why there's been some people that have been... You know, it, it's hit random people, obviously, but there's been some people that have been without power for several days on end. Um, my wife's aunt had to come stay with us, in fact, because she's been several days without power. Yeah, my daughter in Gluckstadt, same deal, had to come uh, hang out with us. My son also lives in Gluckstadt, but on the other side of the interstate, on the west side. And he's got power. Fine, yeah. So. It's hit and miss. You know how that is. And and, uh, she's watching it carefully. And what are you going to do? But thank God to the men and women who are out there working diligently to restore service. We appreciate their sacrifice. They are are everywhere. I've been seeing the trucks everywhere. um, I went and got gas this morning, and I saw several of them across the street in my little hometown. They were getting ready. They were rolling out. Yeah. Well, we appreciate them and everybody else that's working on the front lines there to get the power restored. And, of course, yesterday being Father's Day, a um, holiday, I'm sure quite a number of those fathers were called in to go to work to help restore power. And we, of course, appreciate that. So it looks like we're okay. I I heard uh, the various meteorologists in the local area say last night, in their, in their weather uh, segments that they felt like the worst was over, that were sort of back to a normal pattern. Quite unusual. I don't remember this in June. And, of course, out in Texas and other parts of the country, record heat. Yeah. Uh, heat advisories issued all across the Lone Star State. Heat index up to, in some places, what, 120 or something crazy like that. I... Um, I'm surprised we haven't heard more from the climate cult about this being a a function of climate change. 
I'm a little surprised at that. Maybe I'm I sure that will it. happen. They're they're <laughs> they're reeling a little bit this morning because I don't know if you heard about the Yellowstone wildfires. No. So there's been uh, several wildfires in Yellowstone National Park recently, and of course the climate change activists they have been blaming climate change. Obviously, turns out it was arson. Oh. Oh, so they they jumped to a conclusion because it was politically convenient. That's exactly right. So the New York Post is reporting this morning that some of those Yellowstone wildfires were uh, as the result of arson, and they have made an arrest, apparently. But, yes, they were initially blamed on climate change. Oh, okay. This day, of course, a hollow day across the nation, and uh, also in the state of Mississippi, there the states have adopted various holiday treatment, if you will, with respect to Juneteenth, June 19th, national holiday that uh, commemorates the end of slavery, the emancipation. It's a little complicated, though, Will, if you look at it, exactly what date uh, should be considered that day and if I'm not mistaken, it was on this day, June 19, 1865, when those enslaved in Texas found out several weeks after the war yeah. ended that they were free. It was Union Army Major General Gordon Granger. He issued an order called General Order Number 3, quote, the people of Texas are informed that, in accordance with the proclamation, from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. But it's a little more complicated than that. Um, and some folks had, some of the slaves had already attained freedom, had either been set free, or I think in some cases just escaped, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's a little, compl- little complicated. Of course, the 13th Amendment abolishing slavery ratified by the states, which is what's required for an amendment to the Constitution. About a year after it passed Congress on January 31st, 1865. So Juneteenth, that is today. Now, what's the situation here in Mississippi? Off, right? Our government? I believe it's off. Yeah. I believe so as well. General Order Number 3, all slaves... Are free. Wow, that's something. The president, in the meantime, he uh, he was in Philadelphia for a rally. Oh, he got to talk. He got introduced <laughs> by, by Fetterman. Senator Fetterman, and boy, what an introduction it was! How can that guy be a U.S. senator? That's embarrassing. Totally. I mean, I'd love to hear a conversation between those two. I would, too. We are in the Element Well studio today. It's a short day because we got Ricky Matthews and Super Talk Outdoors at noon. But coming up before that, at 11.05, former Congressman Greg Harper. And we'll do a rundown of all the current political issues right here in the Element Well studios. We're coming right back. Back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. 
I'm standing next to the president again, next to a, a collapsed bridge here. And he is here to commit to work with the, the governor and the, the, the delegation to make sure that we get this fixed quick, fast as well, too. This is a president that is committed to infrastructure. Yeah, and then on top of that, uh, the, the jewel uh, kind of a uh, uh, law of the inflation uh, bill that is going to make sure that there's going to be bridges all across like this, all across the America getting rebuilt. And it's incredible. It really is uh, incredible. Uh, and of course, I don't know if you saw it, folks, but of course that's him introducing the president at this rally in Philly, his, his home state, the state he represents, John Fetterman, Senator John Fetterman, and he was dressed for a day on the basketball court. He had shorts on, gym shorts, looked to yeah. me like. In yeah. a, had his hoodie. His... Yeah, oversized baggy hoodie in June. Sneakers, it was a light blue hoodie. Of course, you heard that he was unable to pronounce words such as delegation. Really struggled with infrastructure. Couldn't get that out. And he was talking about the collapsed I-95 overpass, which has really gummed up the traffic in the Northeast. He said, this is a president that is committed to infrastructure. Couldn't get it out. And again, I'm not making light of the man's physical or mental ailments, but it calls into question his fitness to serve in the U.S. Senate. Which they hid during the campaign. Yeah. Except for when he had to get up there and do the debate with um, Dr. Oz. Yep. That was the only time you got really, and there was one interview that MSNBC did, um, where even the reporter said, something's not right here. Yeah. He needed a lot of assistance. And she got lamb-blasted for saying that. He, honestly, with the president following him, he looks like a spry 30-year-old. <laughs> At the mic there, talking. I don't know if you guys happened to watch the speech. I I did, and then I went back and reviewed it. And I say again, we were told in the 2020 presidential election cycle that Donald Trump was the most divisive president in the history of our great country, that we absolutely had to elect Joe Biden because, what did he say? I'm going to restore the soul of the nation, unite its people. But his message during this speech was just populist class warfare garbage, unapologetic. And of course, by the way, the attendees at the speech, it was to a, a group of members of various labor unions the SEIU, et cetera, they came out and endorsed him. And they say they endorsed him because he's the most pro-union president ever. I think that's true. Even in a time where unions really don't dominate their 
um, their la- the labor force the way they did at one time when unions were way more popular. Mm-hmm. The most pro-union president ever. Now, I had some friends that said that they thought when you look at the video at the event in the background, you see the crowd, you know, I think they're paying them to be there. No, they're not. These are people that support this guy wholeheartedly, especially labor unions. And most of them, Will, you saw they had T-shirts with the the labor union uh, logo or the, the letters, the acronym for the union, the service employees, for example. And these are people that are all in. There's no doubt. The problem I have is, once again, it's focusing on a certain demographic, a certain segment of the population. Like, what about the rest of us, the vast majority of us, who aren't in labor unions? Mm-hmm. Do we have any representation in the White House? Because it, the, the populist rhetoric, once again, was blasting the wealthy in this country. It's time they pay their fair share. And, and the same old tired talking point is, it's not fair that a corporate CEO pays a lower tax rate than a teacher, which is complete horse hockey. That's absolutely not true. And the way they calculate that tax rate, by the way, is they include in income all of the increase in the value of assets owned, even though they haven't been disposed of. There's been no transaction. There's been no profit gain. That's what they look at. That's how they imply, that's how Biden implies that so-called 8% rate. So let's just say you bought stock today for $100, and at the end of the year it's worth 120 You didn't sell it, but you had a $20 gain on paper at this point. But you paid taxes on that which you actually produced in income, wages, uh, capital gain tra- transactions where you sold stock, earned interest, dividends, etc. Well, they throw that unrealized gain in that amount, and then they look at the taxes you pay and compute the effective rate. That's how they come up with that. So they're not telling the truth about it. It's the bottom line. But that's what they want to do. They want to tax wealth. You, your wealth went up, you're going to pay on it. Even though you didn't dispose of it, you produced no cash. You generated no gain. You're still going to pay tax. That's what they seek. And so when they when they use that talking point in their argument, just keep that in mind. I don't think they're included. Let's say that it's a teacher that's been working a long time, has a pension and a 401k plan, and that value goes up. Maybe they did some good picks and it went up dramatically. They're not including that in their pay. To compute the effective rate, they only do that on the part of the of the wealthy. It's it's disingenuous. It's deceptive. It's duplicitive. Uh, duplicitous, pardon me, but it's it's used to make that point, and the crowd just goes crazy. I, I'm blown away by it. And he once again he he blasted so-called trickle down economics and said, you know, while the wealthy got wealthier. You didn't get any wealthier, therefore their wealth's not trickling down. And they're blasting the fact that during the pandemic, it's true. The wealthy did attain greater wealth. That's because the government shut the economy down. 
they they took you know the only profitable year Amazon's ever had on the e-commerce side of the business was during the pandemic. That People one year, were at home buying stuff. Yeah, it's because of you, government. You made them wealthier. All these policies that they claim are designed to ensure nobody's left behind. You hear that all the time. An economy that works for everyone. Well, it's their policies that actually increase the wealth of the people that they're blasted. It's their policies that drive up inflation. My wife and I went to the grocery store yesterday oh. afternoon to get just a few items. I mean, we didn't... In fact, we, here's how few items we, we got. We got, you know, when you go to some grocery stores, you have two different carts. You got the regular size cart, and you got that little mini guy. Yeah. We grabbed the little mini guy, okay, because we didn't need that many items, and it was not full. Oh man, hundred bucks, maybe it's a hundred plus, hundred fourteen dollars all told when we walked out of there. It's, it's like he's ignoring. So he's touting the his so-called economic accomplishments, and and the big talking point. And then there was a time when this probably did rank amongst the the primary economic issues, jobs. Except that's not a problem today. There are more jobs than there are people that want to go to work. And this is all a function of the massive shutdowns that occurred during the pandemic. To flatten the curve for two weeks. And so we're still not back to where we were pre-pandemic from a labor participation rate. But he won't share that little nuanced detail with you. Rather, he'll focus on the number of jobs that have been added since he took office, which is accurate, except it doesn't really tell the whole story. It lacks context in that, okay, well, yeah. you mean people are just going back to work because they're not stuck at home because their employer said, stay home, don't yeah. work. So it's, it's completely disingenuous. <laughs> there was a little something that happened in 2020 that caused a lot of people to lose their jobs. The only valid comparison would be today versus pre-pandemic. Where do you stand on that? Mm-hmm. And you're not back to where we were then. You're you're about 0.3 percent below that point in terms of the late latest uh, statistics from the Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, vis-a-vis the labor participation rate. But we're taking a break right here on Middays. The Doobie Brothers bumping us out. We're in the Element Well Studios. Don't forget, former Congressman Greg Harper. He's coming up at 11:05. And when we come back, we're going to discuss. The, uh, the race is here in Mississippi. Who's got the money and where's it coming from? When Middays continues in the Element Wealth Studio. Or anywhere you listen to podcasts. You're listening to Middays with Gerard. Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone to midday, Super Talk Mississippi. 
Dan in Hattiesburg says, It's time union members woke up. While on the election trail, Biden was at a Teamsters meeting and told one member, I don't work for you. Interesting. They're all in for him. There is no doubt about that. And the speech uh, this, over the weekend in Philadelphia, I think, proved it. It was a pretty decent-sized rally. Of course, it was primarily union workers that were in attendance to support the president. And, and I would certainly agree, of all the candidates in the race, he would certainly be at the top of the list of those who were pro-union. Yeah. He would support their uh, their needs, I guess what they deem to be their needs, but certainly their agenda. Although Robert Kennedy Jr.'s numbers keep he is doing pretty well. He's doing better, and I also saw that uh, I can't remember which show it was I was watching, but they're freaking out over the fact that uh, let's see, this was ABC, ABC Chief Washington Correspondent. He's so distraught that recent polls show Biden, this is a Quinnipiac poll taken June the 8th through the 12th, so just a couple of weeks ago, show that Biden leads Trump 48% to 44%, and this is after the indictment, and he's beside himself on how that could happen. Yeah, that was John Carl. Yeah, of, exactly. Uh, ABC. ABC. Yeah, he was stunned. He was stunned. <laughs> I'm trying can't... to find the audio, but okay. yeah, he, he couldn't. It was like what? he couldn't get it out. Honestly, he is. Um, he's stunned and shocked and almost in disbelief, thinking that oh well, as soon as he gets indicted, people are gonna drop him, but they didn't. Uh, at least at this point, but. And I think folks on the right would say, how could it even be that close? Donald Trump ought to just be smashing him in the polls. And I think it ignores the fact that there are a lot of people in this country that, first, don't like Donald Trump, and secondly, they're all in on the Democrat agenda. I don't think a third party could win, obviously, but I think the conditions are right for a third party candidate to really disrupt Kind of like 1990, was it 92, when Ross Perot was probably the most important third-party candidate in modern times, certainly. No doubt. Um, But because the negatives on uh, Bush at the time were really high, people weren't really fans of Clinton, Ross Perot more conservative, so kind of split the conservative vote. I think the conditions are right for that, and there's certainly the candidates out there who would definitely do it, um, like RFK. I could, you know, or somebody like that. I could definitely see them jumping in and disrupting it. It would have to be, I believe, a Ross Perot type who is independently wealthy enough to fund their own deal, because they're not going to get any support from the parties. And they're it's not. Just, you're trying to break through uh, that apparatus that's well established. So you'd pretty much have to have your own dough. Yeah, you know, Bloomberg jumps into mind, somebody who's jumped in there in the past. Of course, he did so bad last time, but he waited so late. Yeah, you're um, right. He, he did. He waited incredibly late and got in there and had a well-financed campaign, but a short-lived one. Yeah. So I wonder about somebody like that who could jump in, who has the cash to, to – I mean, he certainly has the money. Right. $40-plus billion, I believe. 
Um, yep. Just throw all the money in there that he can. But I don't know if he would be, at, the, at his age, I don't know if he'd be willing to do that. It's hard to tell. Uh, I did note that RFK, you know, he's been to the border, and he did just kind of a selfie video of him at the border with the scenes in the background that folks could see. And then I think he also moved his camera across the area as part of the recording. He recently did this in California, in San Francisco specifically, to uh, see firsthand the homeless situation, mm-hmm. calling attention to that. And it's 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 heart-wrenching to me to see this once great city going down so precipitously. It's... Um, it's amazing, but it's it's bad policy that it's created. And speaking of which, California, a couple of things to share there. The Los Angeles Dodgers in their pride night with the, uh, the mocking of Catholic nuns, Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. This thing's gone back and forth. It's on, it's off, and then it's back on. And they had a little short sort of recognition ceremony before the game and video panning across Dodger Stadium reveals that nobody was there. But there were thousands around the stadium in the streets protesting the mocking of Catholic nuns and religion in general. And so it's a bit of a backlash to the Dodgers. I think, if I'm not mistaken, the Texas Rangers, somebody might want to check me on this, were the only MLB franchise that did not have some sort of Pride Night celebration in the month of June. I wish they just played baseball, honestly. And, you know, if you're going to celebrate something, okay, fine. Do something that unites us, that's common to all of us. Maybe like the country. The flag, for example. The U.S. military. I can think of lots of other things to celebrate that does touch all of us. But in this case, you're recognizing, once again, a single demographic. I talked about this last week, just my observation of advertising and commercials, how that's just nothing but a nonstop virtue signal. Yep. And and somebody sent uh, Rhino and I a text, uh, seemed to be upset at our analysis, and uh, has now gone to Twitter to start trolling me, by the way. <laughs> on it as well. And that's fine. I don't care. I didn't, didn't say anything that I'd regret. I just offered an objective analysis, and I made it very clear that private businesses, as far as I'm concerned, they have the right to, to advertise any way they want within FCC guidelines, of course, for decency, etc. I, I may think it's dumb what they're doing, because the purpose of advertising is to induce people to buy your product and service. And I think some firms have learned that really hasn't done that. So I argue that that's a, that's a dereliction of duty. It's an abdication of fiduciary responsibility on the part of management and the boards. Also in California, something very disturbing to me going on. And why do I get upset about things happening in California? Because they have a ten- tendency to permeate across the nation. That's been the historical scenario. So they have a a law, just went into effect, allows unelected, an unelected council, I think there are 10 on the council, 
to dictate wages and working conditions in fast food restaurants. They literally tell fast food restaurant owners, we're talking about franchisees, independent businesses, what they have to pay, what their pay needs to look like. And it, we're talking beyond in terms of the conditions of the restaurants. We're talking beyond just typical type regulations uh, around uh, just cleanly, cleanliness and safety. We're talking way beyond that. Uh, they're getting more into individual benefit packages. So they're calling on an increase, by the way, of the minimum wage for restaurant workers, specifically in California. You're talking about fast food restaurant workers. From the present $15 an hour to $22 an hour. So you're talking about someone working in a fast food restaurant. I don't know how many of those are full-time jobs, where they're the breadwinner, if you will, of the family. But we're talking about 22 bucks an hour plus a series of benefits. So with burden, $55,000, $60,000 a year cost per employee to the restaurant. So there's backlash, as you can imagine, from restaurant owners and other business entities, and they're trying to get a measure on the ballot next year to repeal this thing. Other states have already indicated, yeah, we're looking at this as well, the blue sort of run states. But conferring power to its this bureaucratic 10-person agency to have purview over wages and conditions in a specific industry, that's blatant central planning socialism. It's extremely dangerous in my view, and it, it ignores the realities of markets. By the way, I, I didn't mention this on Friday, but it was Adam Smith's birthday. Adam Smith, I don't know if you guys know who he is, considered uh, kind of the father of Modern-day free market capitalism, a rock star in my view. We'll talk about that, and then when we come back, we're going to go through some of the money that the candidates have uh, brought into their campaign war chests here in the state of Mississippi. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Back with you in the Element Well Studios, Blaine and Jackson, Jackson on the ceasefire text line. That's 601-879-4395 says, so they cut the amount of employees and pay competent people, lose-lose situation, talking about this new law in California. Well, I, I wouldn't necessarily conclude there, Blaine, that just because you pay more, you get more competent people. I mean, that's just a function of demand and supply of the labor force. You know, my personal situation is when I when I grace the fast food restaurants in the area, I, I find the service to be pretty dang good, honestly. 
But it's, there's no doubt that at the amount of pay that is affordable for running fast food restaurants, because most people eat at fast food restaurants for speed, convenience, and cost, honestly. But if, Although that is, uh, these days, the cost of it. It's, it's high. It's high. In fact, my wife and I, Sunday, we were out running some errands Sunday morning. We wanted to get a quick breakfast, so we were going to go through uh, a fast food restaurant drive through um, because, again, we were in the car, we are running errands, so why not go through a drive through yeah. There was a lo- long line at that one, so we said, skip it, we'll go somewhere else. Went to another one. It was a long line. So we decided, you know what? We're going to go and have a sit-down one at a locally owned restaurant. We did. And the price turned out – I actually did the math. The price turned out to be about a – by the time you calculated in tip, because we sat down, it was about $3 more. Hmm. Interesting. At a nice sit-down locally owned restaurant where the food was much, much better, much higher quality. Yeah. Interesting. Well – you know, it's another situation where I just believe that markets sort these things out. We don't need government involved. We certainly don't need some unelected ten panel uh, panel of ten bureaucrats to dictate things like wages. That's European style socialism in the fast food industry, and I think I look for that to kind of take hold in other states as well. I did just want to say again, Adam Smith. Born on June 16, 1723, 300 years ago, Glasgow, Scotland. By the way, our founding fathers relied quite heavily on his works, his philosophy, heavily influenced Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, and others um, in crafting the Declaration of Independence. They talked about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And, of course, that depends on economic growth. That's how you achieve life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They're inextricably linked. He wrote two great books, The Theory of Moral Sentiments. That was in 1759. Still applies today, by the way, the concepts he espoused therein. Maybe his most famous work, though, however, was an inquiry into the nature and causes of the wealth of nations. How about that? 1776. How curious. The date. And so he, once again, just says, look, it's economic growth. That's how we raise living standards. Not panels of bureaucrats saying, you're just going to pay more. Unbelievable. And it's this spread of capitalism, which has really been miraculous, monumental, in lifting people out of poverty. In 1980, 42.7% earned less than $2 a day in the world. By 2000, 27.8%. Today, less than 9%. The left never wants to talk about that, by the way. That, that's the progress we've made. We've all but eliminated extreme poverty on the planet. And if some of these other countries would get on board with some of Mr. Smith's principles, they too, they too could increase wages and living standards and eliminate abject poverty. Here in the state, wanted to get to this, folks with all the money running for office, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman hauled in 958000 
in the month of May. I think he beat all other candidates in that category. 107,000 raised by his uh, most fierce component, that would be Senator Chris McDaniel. So that's 290000 above the amount raised by Governor Reeves. Of course, Governor Reeves doesn't have quite the uh, difficult primary challenge that the lieutenant governor does. His, his bigger challenge will be in the general versus Democrat Public Service Commissioner Brandon Presley, the likely nominee on the Democrat side for governor. But interesting, and before the show's out today, we'll go through the list of some of the folks found to have, uh, in the report, to have donated to the lieutenant governor and to Senator Chris McDaniel. The Mississippi Bankers Association, as far as I can see, at the top of the list with a $50,000 donation to the lieutenant governor. Lots of the other associations and PACs as well. Time for a break right now. Fox News, Super Talk News coming your way when we return. It's former Congressman Greg Harper in the Element Well studio. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. back, everyone. It's hour two of Middays, live from the Element Well Studios. It's Monday. It's a two-hour show. Ricky Matthews with Super Talk Outdoors coming up in the next hour. But right now, former Congressman Greg Harper in the Element Well Studios joining us. Good to see you again, uh, Congressman. Hey, How are you, sir? Great to be with you. And did, did I pick a good time not to run again or what? <laughs> we were just talking you about know? that off the air. It does feel like that the environment is perhaps more toxic than it has been in some time. Which, really, thinking back, is hard to believe that it <laughs> is. Uh, but, but I think it's pretty true. So many things going on, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a, tough, a tough environment out there. And, uh, you know, it, being a member of Congress is a, is a tough role to have because, you know, you never have any downtime. You know, you're in D.C., they, and, of course, you know, Folks on TV will say, "Well, you know, Congress is on vacation," and I would always think to, you know, our buddy uh, Sean Hannity. I said, "Sean, come on with me on my vacation to cover my 28 counties and later 24 counties, and and we'll see how you like vacation." So, <laughs> the, you know, I do respect that that it's it's tough on families, and you've got to have a, a family that really supports you in that effort, and you've you've got to mark out some time where you can just kind of. Uh, crash a little bit and and get away when you need to. It's hard to do. You know, um, you of course have firsthand experience with this, and and I think those of us maybe the average person not elected to office to Congress thinks it's just so glamorous. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, uh, about just, the second time I left my family, I got yeah. over the glamour, you know, yeah. real quick. I mean, and, it's, uh, it's hard. It's a very, it's a tough deal, but it's you know, it's exciting. It's our nation's capital. Yeah. You know, when you when you love your country and you love the history that we have, and you, you know, if you look at the Capitol Dome walking. 
you know, from your office to the Capitol, if it doesn't do something to you, that's when you really need to think, hey, no I shouldn't be here. It's it's a unique place, and that's why people and families travel, because they just, it's got so much to offer. No doubt. But, but you, I'm sure, are familiar with members, members who have publicly stated that uh, they elected not to run for office again because of the stress it was putting sure. not only in their families but on their pocketbooks as well. Absolutely, and and certainly, you know, uh, I didn't plan to stay there for life. Ten years was a good uh, time of service, but at the end of ten years, I was making eleven percent per year less with inflation. <laughs> after ten years, it's now been fifteen years since the members of Congress have gotten a raise. And right. the problem with that is, and I know listeners will say, you know, well, they don't yeah, <laughs> they don't, they don't need, need a raise. raise. Yeah. Well, the the fact is, you're then creating a a situation where only independently wealthy folks or somebody who thinks they just won the lottery can serve. It's where we are now. And and that's pretty much where we are at this point, I think. If you look at, say, the newcomers into the U.S. Senate, for the most part, they were independently wealthy before they got there. Most most of them, that would be true. Not all, but 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 certainly a lot came in from a successful business career. And then, of course, if you go into Congress and you're a an attorney, for instance, well then, or a doctor, you cannot make any money off of those. But if you owned a chain of restaurants, well, you you life goes on just like it was. So um, so it's it's a difficult challenge uh, for a lot of members and uh, and I'm I'm thankful that I got to, to do that and uh, you know just it's the greatest honor I've had thus far in my life and I'm yeah. I'm thankful for that. Yeah. All right, so uh, let's get your thoughts on uh, on some of the the current uh, events going There's on. There's only a few things <laughs> to talk about, right? I guess first thing is the the recent indictment of former President Donald Trump. What do you think about that? You know, it's um, you know, my first thought is is this is okay. He's if he's done something that's illegal or wrong and he gets indicted, fine. But are we going to continue to ignore? the Biden family and uh, Burisma and all these other issues that are out there, uh, the laptop of of Hunter Biden, well, you know, I mean, fair is fair, you know, and and this is, if it's, if there's something that's wrong, fine, but to have it not equally applied right. is, is the thing that gives you the real, the real heartburn. So former Attorney General Barr just uh, said, uh, recently, that Saw he that. would, if, if called upon, he would testify against Trump sure over the do. document uh, issue. So, you know, it certainly is. Um, it, it's one that, all right, yeah, you're the president. You know, uh, if you're going to take those documents, maybe you should declassify them before you take those documents. I mean, that's one, you know, thought and issue. But uh, I, I think it's still a little early to know. But it was a pretty uh, extensive indictment. And the problem is, it's there are other cases and out there, as you know, uh, in other jurisdictions, and uh, there's such fear by the Democrats that Donald Trump might be elected, um, you know, president again. Uh, nobody's ever been pounded on like he has. Whether you, whether you like him or not, you have to admit that it's a it's a brutal uh, process, and uh, and he's he's held up remarkably well, but. Uh, I would hate to think that you're running for president and you've got several indictments against you while you're trying to do that. Uh, it's It makes it even more and more difficult. I'm going to throw a hypothetical at you and, and get your Uh-oh. reaction. I'll give you a hypothetical answer then. <laughs> well, that's fine. <laughs> so uh, there's a possibility he could be convicted, he could go to jail, and he could still be on the ballot. Do you think he wins from jail? 
Uh, no. Okay. No. Fair I, enough. I don't. I, uh, and I, I think your first thought is, okay, if he's in jail and he's the president, and he's elected as president <laughs> in jail, uh, where's the uh, the nuclear football going to be? Uh, how, yeah. do you, how do you uh, wake up the president at 2 in the morning? Uh, you know, I mean, there are all kinds of uh, tough issues that you have to go through there. Uh, and, of course, at the end of the day, the fact that you're going after a former president yeah. like this, some things you just move on. And I think it's uh, it's been a tough deal. It's hard to conclude anything but this is totally political, that the DOJ and that our institutions have been weaponized. It's hard to, to look at it objectively. I can't, I can't oh, no. explain it any other way, yeah, you know, I, to I look agree. at that. And I agree. I think you're right. And, and the double standard. Uh, it's a it's a strong double standard. Yeah, you know. In fact, there's one standard, and it's against um, uh, conservative Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think Representative Comer with the Oversight Committee? Uh, I think he's been doing a, a dead gum good job. What he's, do you think? He's done a really good job digging into information that we probably wouldn't have found. Um, and I, so I, and and I'll say this too. He's he's doing a good job as the head of that committee, as the chair. Um, but I would also say they've got a great uh, team, you know, a yeah. great staff, uh, and and that's made up with people that know how to investigate, yeah. know how to look at things. And so, you know, I know when I was uh, chairman, the staff made me look uh, a whole lot smarter than I was on the Committee on House Administration. So, yeah. you know, they uh, – so I know he's got a great team around him. That helps a lot. Yeah, lots of resources uh, and just calling it to the attention and getting it uh, some sunshine on it, I think, more than anything. I was talking about the Burisma scandal in particular. So Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene has, has drafted articles of impeachment uh, against the president. I've said here on the program, uh, Congressman, that I'm not sure we'll ever, unfortunately, see another president elected where once the opposite party gains control of the House, they don't seek to impeach the president. And it becomes very uneventful, you know, at that point. It's yeah. like, okay, you know, We've done this before, ho-hum, yeah. it doesn't help. You know, we, we go back to Bill Clinton, you know, it just really didn't matter at the end of the day, you know, the allegations that were against him, or you go forward each president. Certainly it it uh, increased a lot under Trump. Nothing's happened yet on, on, on Biden. But, you know, it very well could, like you're saying. Yeah. And is it going to be something that's a game changer? Usually that kind of backfires uh, a lot of times. It look, because, it, again, it does look so political in that case. That's the risk. Now, if DOJ was doing their job in a, in a fair way, then we would have a lot more information about the Hunter Biden issue, about did Joe Biden, uh, you know, wind up with um, – you know, money go into his account or accounts, uh, and and then also there are, according to uh, news reports, uh, one of the Burisma executives has recorded tapes, com- tapes of fifteen conversations with uh, Hunter Biden and maybe two with um, the president when he was in another role. Senator Grassley discussed that specifically on the floor. Absolutely, last week. which is which is a pretty bold move, yeah. uh, really, on Grassley's part to do that. Now, is it getting a lot of news coverage right now? now we'll know when the when the when Biden starts to get it, President Biden starts to get attacked on a regular basis. We'll know that they're giving up on him. Thus far, they really have. That's a good point. So once once the national media once the national media is, says hey you're not going to be president any longer and they start reporting a lot of the stuff that we know they should be 
then you could wind up with those uh, those things happening. That that makes sense. You can hang around with us yes, and talk sir. some more, can't Love you? to. We got former Congressman Greg Harper in the Element Well Studios. We're stepping aside for a break. Coming right back. Every day from 3 until 6, right here on Super Talk Jackson 97.3. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's go. So my claim to fame there, Will, is that I have a photo of my wife and myself. That's why I played that. You know that, don't you? Yeah. With Smokey, sitting at home. I was at an event. And he was sick, right? He was sick, and he still performed for this group. It was like an awards deal, business deal. And we all got to meet meet him one-on-one and get our photo taken with him. And I, I cherish that photo. It's awesome. He's a great entertainer and such a fine man. What a great personality. He was sick, and he still performed for us. And it was incredible, as you yeah. can imagine. But we got uh, former Congressman Greg Harper in the Element Well studio. So uh, first, the RNC is asking for the candidates to sign a pledge in order to be eligible to debate. There's some other criteria as well to get on the debate stage. But they're asking all the candidates to sign a pledge saying you will support the nominee unconditionally. And Chris Christie has come out and said, I'm not doing that if it's Donald Trump. By the way, he didn't do it either in 2016, Christie rightly points out. And then Tim Scott has said, I'm not going to get into hypotheticals at this point. Right. right. This isn't unusual, but... What do you think? Is this, does this make sense? Is this the right policy for the RNC? You know, you, you, at the end of the day, we may all have different candidates that we support, but we're still going to vote for the Republican nominee. You, yes. you know that at the yes. end of the day. Yeah, I mean, it, it can get bitter and, and upset. You remember, like you mentioned, 2016, the one person that wouldn't make that pledge was Donald Trump. <laughs> That's exactly right. And then everybody else did make that pledge, stuck with that pledge except for John Kasich who was governor of Ohio, who hosted the convention in Ohio in Cleveland that uh, that summer. Yep. And it's like, okay, well, so I don't think the pledge means a whole lot. Yeah. It, uh, if it's a criteria, I think most people would do that. Uh, the real criteria is, have you identified 100 people that actually might vote for you yeah. if you're way down the ticket right now? And, yeah. and I, I, at the end of the day, there'll be... Uh, Everybody will rally around whoever the nominee is. I feel pretty certain about well, that. Well, I hope so. And Vivek Ramaswamy, also a candidate, Republican uh, candidate for president, he um, he issued a challenge like down at Miami in front of the courthouse a couple of weeks ago after the indictment, had a letter asking all the other candidates in all parties to sign saying that they would pardon 
Donald Trump if he's convicted. And, I mean, some of that's just political showmanship, right? Get sure. attention. And he sure. did. He got attention. Oh, he got, he got a lot of news uh, stories on that, didn't he? For sure. So, <laughs> Oh, well. All right, let's talk about uh, former vice president, now uh, candidate for president, Mike Pence. And so, Mike, uh, I asked you before we came on the program, you caught this article as well. I found it fascinating, honestly, very revealing. This was uh, on Friday. It was after the show is when it was published in the Wall Street Journal. I read the title. Mike Pence says Donald Trump may ditch conservatives. And he goes through some fairly decent detail there on a number of issues where he thinks Trump may not be the conservative we we think they are. He says, for example, that he thinks Trump is kind of leaning into Elizabeth Warren's call for a wealth tax. You know the president uh, criticized the abortion law signed into law uh, by Governor Ron DeSantis that limits abortions to six weeks. He says it's too harsh. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Look, I think that Pence, of course, you know, I'll go ahead and tell you, I'm a little a little biased. Okay. Uh, when I started in Congress, uh, Mike Pence was in the House as well. Yeah. And so, I mean, look, we're from Mississippi. I'm, you know, I'm one generation removed from the family farm. And so I think listeners will understand this. Mike Pence was my bell cow. Okay. He was the one that, if, if I wasn't sure that first term, if I had voted the right way, if I had some question about a bill... I'd look up on the board, and if I'd voted the same way as Mike Pence, okay. I just said, well, I'm not worried about that, because I knew he would never lead us off into the uh, ditch. Sure. So Makes sense. I, I think uh, Pence, you know, it's interesting. He, he was late announcing that he was officially going to run, uh, so he's now polling a distant third uh, in that race between Trump, DeSantis, and, and then Pence in single digits. But, yep. but moving up a little bit, I've noticed, over some polling that's being done. And he's doing it, I think, the, the right way. He is not backing off of his conservative credentials one bit. Uh, but I do think that the, the president sees that the uh, the abortion issue is, has had negative consequences uh, in the last uh, two cycles, and he's a little bit you know concerned about that. Would he would he move away from that or come up with something? And I do think on that the Republicans have to come up with a way that they can say, hey, we're we're pro life, and explain what what that means. Yeah, it's not just uh, you know, it is there's a right to choose take advantage over the life of an unborn child. Right. I mean, it's there's there's no comparison there for inconvenience versus are we going to terminate an otherwise perfectly uh, good yeah. pregnancy? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a tough deal. So will he back off of that? Will he look at a wealth tax? You know, he's already said that he won't look at entitlement reform. Trump, I mean. Yeah. And so says we won't touch it. So at the at the end of the day, um, uh, that's those are things that you know we're going to have to take a, a hard look at, and you really shouldn't take anything off the table until you figure out the the process going forward. And it and also, look while we're dealing with all this, uh, communist China is at war with us every day. We just we're more concerned about hurting somebody's feelings. So uh, it. At this point in time, I think Pence has uh, certainly uh, some validity on what he's uh, saying there, and we'll see how it shakes out. I, it, it, I just think, you know, and, and again, uh, Mike Pence is somebody that I certainly respected and admired more than anybody else I ever met up there, and 
And who could have done a better job as vice president? He gave Trump credibility in 2016 that he didn't have without Pence. And uh, so, uh, and you couldn't have a more loyal uh, person. And it was perfect except for January 6th of 2021 when he when what he did took a lot of courage to say he was going to follow the Constitution. He didn't have that authority. So those issues, I believe what you're going to see is, as this goes along, Trump is going to um, still be, obviously, in the lead. I think DeSantis is going to continue to drop down. And I think over the next two months, you're going to see Pence okay. move into second place uh, on the polling. Uh, and you know, you know, I'm sure you're doing the same thing I'm doing. Is you have informal conversations and your yeah. informal polling. Everybody thinks Trump's going to be the nominee, but none of the ones I'm talking to are voting for Trump. It's hmm. like interesting. Okay, what's what's going on here? I've run into that. I've heard a lot of people say, "Gosh, I wish he'd drop out." I've heard that from probably more people than I've heard. Man, I'm so glad he's in, and I and I hope he wins, and I'm all for him. But there's no doubt he's got a, a very strong base. Um, I've Absolutely. sort of I've sort of analyzed it as about half Republicans are are very strongly uh, in his court, and about a quarter fit into the camp of well I like his policies but I'm not crazy about his personality, and then the other quarter just I'm never voting for that guy again. <laughs> I mean that's kind of the way I've divided <laughs> that's up. That's not re- a bad division. Re- Republican there, yeah. of the the makeup, the composition. We'll see where that goes. But I thought that Mr. Pence did an excellent job in this op-ed of showing the contrast between his views on key issues and and Mr. Trump's, and really exposing that Donald Trump may not be the conservative bona fide that I think the average voter thinks he is. You know, I'll just say this. We'll forevermore be grateful to uh, President Trump for what he did and what he accomplished. I mean, moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, that alone was such a significant thing, what he did on the Supreme Court, getting three justices appointed. Uh, a strong approach. So everybody, like you said, loved his policies. Yep. But my dream ticket is Mike Pence and Tim Scott. So okay. I just want you to know that's okay. my, I'll go ahead and put that down right now. It's, my, right. it's my dream ticket. Okay. Well, and and let's also give Trump a credit for his economic policies, his uh, his regulatory framework, um, repeal two for every new one that you add, and energy. He got out of the way of the energy sector. If, if um, COVID if COVID doesn't happen, he's overwhelmingly reelected I think to a that's second totally right. term. With well, I don't think there's any doubt that that would have happened, and and even with COVID, had the voting rules not been relaxed and eased so greatly for mail-in ballots and everything else, he still probably, possibly you know yeah. might have been able to have gotten elected. So it it just the the COVID reaction really skewed everything and made it uh, really a, a, a tough, tough road for him. And as you well know, just final comment before you go, that the presidential elections with the electoral vote process really come down to a handful of counties and about four states. It's, it's, it's the end no of the doubt. Day. It's, a, it's a narrow group yeah. that actually will determine this. Congressman, always good to see you, sir. Thanks for coming My in privilege. today. Thanks Appreciate so it. much. Yes, right, sir. See you next time. Mm-hmm. We're coming right back with more in the Element Well studio. Stay with us.
Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. The great Glenn Campbell. Let's hope we have a southern night. Sands the severe thunderstorm. Absolutely. Wow. So somebody on the ceasefire text line says that we should be ashamed in our discussion. Uh, Senator John Fetterman says, if you don't see problem with making light of a speech disability from a stroke, it won't do any good to explain it. You know, there are are some of those big fancy words on your word for the day calendar that you don't pronounce correctly either, G. Okay. You are entering prime age for a stroke yourself. Be careful what you find amusing or embarrassing. And before you start whining that you weren't making fun, yes, you were, hey, Will. Well, that's, a, a, of course, a subjective analysis uh, I've talked about Senator Fetterman before. I mean, what I what I seem to be hearing here is that, look, if you're serving in the U.S. Senate, you're an elected official that as long as you have some sort of disability, you can't be critical of that person whatsoever. That's because right. your criticism is perceived as as making light of the person's disability. And uh, in my opinion, I wasn't doing that. I was simply pointing out that this is a concern and that this you can't help but not see it happening. The news media, most news media, carried it. And I actually was at the golf club, and I, I caught it live. He was on the screen. I said, wait, this guy's in shorts and a hoodie, a Carhartt hoodie, at a rally introducing the president. I find that to be inappropriate. I don't care what party they are. I don't care what afflictions they may have. I find that inappropriate. That's not making light or fun of him. It's just my opinion. And I find that inappropriate. With respect to his inability to to make cogent sentences and the way he stumbles, it's pretty much every time he talks. And I completely understand uh, the issues with strokes. My father had one and lost his recent memory. And it plagued him until he passed away some 10 years later. I completely understand that. And I understand that the older you get, the more at risk you are for that. But the fact of the matter is, and you can't excuse this, the guy sitting in the U.S. Senate. And that's troubling. Not because... Um, the, uh, of his disability, it's because I don't think that he's in the best condition to execute his role as a U.S. Senator. I mean, he was hospitalized a few months ago for depression. Right. And I could make the same point about Senator Dianne Feinstein, who can't remember where she is, it appears. And Nancy Pelosi was asked last week whether or not she thought the president's age and, and, and constant gaffes and, and uh, apparent lack of mental acuity is go- going to be a concern in the 2024 elections. And 
She said, uh, and I'm, I can't remember the exact quote, something to the reporter, don't ask me questions that deal with such frivolity, mm-hmm. is what she said. So I, I, I find it just concerning. I don't care what party they are. I don't care what their policy positions are. We need people that have their full faculties in those positions. Because they're the making important decisions. Right. That life, affect life everybody. Yeah. And so I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right. Lewin, is that right? Is that the way you say that? I Lewin, so. Mississippi? Well, there's video playing on the studio right now. Looks like drone footage of the town looks devastated from the storms that went through. We read that from the governor. So, you know, my guess is to this person, if I made the same analysis, offered the same analysis on a Republican member of the Senate, they'd be perfectly fine with that. Once again, I believe, just looking at the history here uh, in the text, I think politics is at play. And that's the way we handle everything. We politicize it. Yeah. Honestly, I feel like I've been objective in that respect, and um, this person doesn't care for that. Yeah, I, I may m- mispronounce words. If I do, please let me know. You know, if we'd have criticized Strom Thurmond, who was 98 years old, and the the you know this this same person would probably be going, well, that's right on. You know, you're right <laughs> on with that. They wouldn't be claiming elder abuse, you know, or uh, you know making fun of someone's age. And so, and I don't feel like I was making fun of it. I was just calling attention to it. How could you miss it? I mean, I've watched it on played, the television. Played the clip. Yeah, played the clip. How can you miss that? How can anybody not be concerned? And by the way, when Donald Trump slipped a bit or walked, he didn't even slip. He walked very gingerly. The Washington Post oh, wrote nuts. articles. Oh, we should be concerned about this. All this kind of stuff. Whereas with Fetterman, the Washington, the same paper, the Washington Post. They released his press statement as it was fact, right. with his quotes in there, and the reporter had to go back and, and, and correct himself and say, that's actually not what he said. I just took you know, the, the press release uh, at face value. Well, the, the left media in this country wanted to invoke what's the, whatever the amendment is that allows you to, allows the Congress, I guess, to deem the president unfit for office and have him removed, just because he walked slowly down a ramp. Yeah. After standing for two two plus hours in the heat uh, at the uh, West Point commencement yeah. exercises, so um, I just want consistency. I think that's what most people. Just the same thing with the Trump indictment versus the uh, Burisma scandal. Just people want consistency. Well, it depends on what side of the aisle you you're on, I guess. The Democrats, I think, are perfectly happy with the fact that Trump's been indicted and that nothing really substantial has come about with respect to the Biden-Burisma scandal. You can't even find a peep about it in the left-wing media. Zero seconds spent on it, but consumed with the Trump indictment. In fact, they're all mad because he didn't immediately bow out of the race. Oh, gosh. In the meantime, again, I like to focus on policy. I think that's what's most important. That's what impacts the lives of Americans more than anything. And Joe Biden's message this weekend uh, concerned me. It's time for the wealthy to pay their fair share. I'm tired of hearing that. It's totally untrue. The wealthy, the top 1%, pay 42% of the income taxes in this country. The top 50% pay 97.5%. 
5% of the income taxes in this country. The bottom 2.5%, uh, pardon me, the bottom 50% pay 2.5%. Somebody show me how that's fair. And, of course, he talked about his climate bill, his, his health care package, and all that stuff. And the response from uh, members in attendance, all of which are in the union because it was a big rally in front of his base, is where he's popular, the union. And uh, there were several um, comments taken by the media from members in attendance. I mean, they're in full support. I'm looking forward to this campaign. Four more years is what Biden said. Wow. So 1,000 union workers representing professions from carpenters to airport service workers, entertainers and heavy service equipment engineers, wearing T-shirts bearing their union logos. That's what we talked about earlier. And they began chanting, let's go, Joe. We want Joe. That's just because... He placates, he appeases, he panders to union organizations, lets them do whatever they want, and they get power from that. And Joe is an anti-business person. He's a pro-union person. Just simple as that. And all these powerful unions were there in attendance. They shake down their members and all their union dues and so forth. Back here in the state of Mississippi, I promise you, we talk about who's giving money. 50000 from the Bankers Association to Delbert Hoseman, 30000 from the Home Builders Association, Health Care Pack of Ridgeland, 25000 the Auto Dealers, Ergon Pack also gave the 25000 Medical Pack, ECM, uh, that's electric co-ops, Optometry for Progress Pack, Mr. Dunlap and Batesville, Road Builders Association, all gave $25,000. Physicians, $20,000. Manufacturers Association, $20,000. Mr. Yates of Philadelphia, that's W.G. Yates and Sons Construction, $15,000. Good Day Farm, Corporate Relations Management, George Walker of Heritage Properties, Mississippi Beer Distributors Association, all gave $15,000. To the Lieutenant Governor, a long list of those who gave 10,000 Tower Loan, Lenders Pack, Friends of Dean Kirby, Mr. and Miss Rick Lucer, Tenax Aerospace, the Clay Firm, Key Constructors, Mississippi AGC Pack, Hattiesburg Clinic, James Barksdale, looks like Joel Carter, or maybe it's his dad, yeah, Terry Green of Sugarland, Texas, Comcast Corporation, long list. So, I got kind of a final thought on that. When we come back, and we'll also talk, we'll also discuss some of the folks giving money to Senator Chris McDaniel. Final segment of the day because it's Mondays is up next from the Element Well Studios. with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi.
in the Element Well Studios. The great Chicago. Does anybody really know what time it is? Yeah, it's time for the last segment here on Middays. Super Talk Outdoors with Ricky Matthews coming up next. Once again, we're in the Element Well Studios. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. Before we broke, we were just running down the list of donors to Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman. It's an exhaustive list. I mean, like we said, he raised 958,000 uh, bucks in the month of the month of May. And I, I'm seeing uh, my old partner on the list, by the way, he gave thousand dollars. Now I full disclosure, I've, I've um, discussed the fact that I've known Delbert for 40 years, going back to being my original corporate uh, attorney. In 1985, when Norman and I formed the company. But just looking through the list, it's exhaustive. Lots of people, lots of people that are kind of well-known. Um, and then lots of companies. So it would make you feel, at least if you look at the list of money, if you use money as a gauge on what the election is looking like today, in terms of voter counts, certainly appear that the lieutenant governor would be in the uh, the dominant position. I'm not sure. I haven't seen any polls. I don't know if anybody... I'm sure there's some private polls that the organizations or even third parties are conducting. I've not seen any of them. But I am looking at uh, Chris McDaniel's list as well, and top of the list is Mr. Dunlap of Batesville gave 15000 He also gave, I think, if I'm not mistaken, the same amount or more to Lieutenant Governor Hoseman. It's not unusual for someone in that position. 10000 from Nicole Johns of Summit. And it just says, information requested. And then I see uh, someone from Metairie, New Orleans, 5000 in the 5000 category. Also, Shannon, Columbia, Monica Boudreaux, $3,000 in Biloxi. Tanya Shepard of Gauthier, $1,710. Dan Carr of Gulfport. Chris Johns. Susan Barrel, Ocean Springs, $1,500. It's, uh, and then there's a, a list of probably 15 or so people who, who donated 1000 bucks. But, I mean, it's a fairly short list. So I, I don't know what you can conclude from from this information typically it takes money to win elections but certainly from a social media presence perspective and moreover just from a presence around the state they look kind of neck and neck it, it appears maybe that senator mcdaniel is more visible i mean that's his, his style if you think back on his prior campaigns going back to 14 he you know he will Travel the state. Go to every corner of the state. He'll get in front of people and talk. They were, by the way, both at um, the Rooster Run Friday. Remember yeah. we had... Um, Corinth. Right, in Corinth. We had Sandy on, who coordinates that deal, talking about it, telling us. And they were... I saw the governor was there, the lieutenant governor. And, of course, um, Chris McDaniel as well. I think they were each afforded a very short time period to speak. But this is going to be an interesting race. It, it does make you wonder, 
is money the path to victory? Typically, it's certainly necessary. The senator is a person who's well-known throughout the state, so it's not like he's an unknown coming out of nowhere and needs a bunch of money to bolster his name ID. He's got that. People know who he is. He's been on the ballot several times, statewide ballot. Been in the news a lot through the years. I mean, he's a firebrand in that respect. So it's just fascinating to watch. Just wanted to point that out. Will, you had a little news maybe to share with us with respect to restoration of the power uh, vis-a-vis Intergy. Yeah, uh, um, Intergy CEO and President Haley Sackerley was on Paul Gallo this morning talking about uh, the number of people without power. It's right at 30,000. Um, there is some frustration. Yep. Um, Britt Bailey, the Public Service Commissioner, said, quote, I am extremely frustrated and disappointed by Intergy's, Intergy Mississippi's response to the recent storms. The delay in restoring power has caused significant hardship for their customers and is unacceptable. We expect Intergy Mississippi to take swift action to address the issue and ensure that our communities are not left in the dark for prolonged periods of time in the aftermath of severe weather events. We'll stay on this for sure. Before we go today, Thomas and Greenwood points out, I saw this too, Thomas, that CPAC, CPAC announced last week, late last week, they're backing Chris McDaniel. They say that Delbert uh, was responsible for killing some of the conservative uh, measures in the Senate and not getting them across the finish line. We'll see. We'll talk about that a whole lot more tomorrow as well. Andy says, that's all great. What we need is a debate. I'd like to see one too, Andy. I've offered to moderate it so far. The lieutenant governor has declined. We're out of here today. Stay safe and God bless everyone. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.